Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our sermon text for this final of our midweek Advent services, in which we've been considering Advent as a baby story, our text is from the, the reading that you just heard from Luke, the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin whose name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And he said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is our text. Dear friends, if angels have emotions... You have to believe that Gabriel was awfully excited about this assignment. There never was before and there never would be after the same task given as this given task. To announce the incarnation of God. Since Eve, mankind had watched and had waited for this news. The sun had risen and the sun had set upon day after day and age after age of people watching and waiting. The moon had looked down upon night after countless night of God's people gazing heavenward in prayer, watching and waiting and wondering when it would be. Generations were born and they faded away and with them many prophets proclaiming prophecies of a promised one that had yet to see their ultimate fulfillment. But now it was time. Now it was the fullness of time. To a people and to years pregnant with anticipation, Gabriel delivered the news of the pregnancy. The times had come to full term. The time for delivery was soon. The times were exciting. But would she be excited? Would this woman, perhaps barely even a woman, but more an adolescent girl named Mary, would she be excited to hear the news? Recall, hers is a story quite different from the other two we've heard during this Advent season. Mary is not well advanced in years, as were Sarah and Elizabeth. In fact, she's not got too many years under her belt to speak of. And while the others, Abraham and Sarah and Zechariah and Elizabeth, well, they wanted desperately to bear Children, my guess is that young Mary was not so eager for the immediate child. Perhaps like so many other Jewish girls, she did dream of one day bearing sons and daughters to her husband, being fruitful and multiplying and filling at least her little corner of the world. But one day, now she's not even in the marital relationship yet. Betrothed, yes, but technically married and with husband, no, not yet. She may not have been near as eager to receive this news because she didn't share those other common characteristics that, with Sarah and Elizabeth that made their respective pregnancies simply miraculous. She did share, though, at least one thing with her cousin Elizabeth and with her ancestor Sarah before her. One thing that made this pregnancy equally, if not more, miraculous and marvelous she wasn't supposed to be able to have children. And yes, it was biological. And yes, it was very commonsensical. You see, for Sarah and Elizabeth, it was that what was planted 
fell on unfertile, or shall we say barren, ground. Nothing grew there short of a miracle. But with Mary, it was not a matter of being barren. It was a a matter of the simple fact that nothing had yet been sown. No seed had yet been planted or cast, so how in the world should anything there grow? But impossibilities never stopped God before, and they weren't going to stop him this time. And so we hear God's angel deliver his long-expected message, saying, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And at this, Mary scratches her head and asks, frankly, what any one of us would ask. How can this be? And it's not a dumb question. It's an important question. In fact, the entirety of our Christian faith rests on the reason for this question, which is why must this be? But first to the how of it. There are many today who dismiss the virgin birth as fantasy or folklore, or they simply place reason above what Scripture says and and based upon their reason say it is an impossibility and therefore could never have happened. Many who mock Christianity because they imagine that we believe and teach that God descended and impregnated Mary in the normal human fashion. If they'd only listened to the angel like Mary did. And perhaps it was to disarm the naysayers, but God tells us and and records for us the basic how of it. And contrary to all the charges and all the accusations, there's nothing fanciful and nothing shameful about it. Mary asks how. Gabriel gives her the answer. This is how, Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born to you will be called holy, the Son of God. There it is. Incarnational biology. She would be his mother. God is his father. But that goes to the more important question, why? Why did God choose this very peculiar way to bring forth his son? Why? Did God subject young Mary to all the public scrutiny and suspicion and judgment sure to fall upon her? With others around her seeing this unmarried girl appearing increasingly in the family way with each passing month? Here's why. To put it very plainly, God had to. His options, we might say, were limited. They were limited, so to speak, because he had to bring forth his holy son in holiness. And that meant it couldn't be done in the normal way, the normal human fashion. This Savior Son couldn't be contaminated with sin. He couldn't be tainted with sin if he was going to be the Lamb of God, pure and holy. He couldn't be sinful, and so he couldn't be the seed of a sinner. I like the way that one church father has put it, very illustrative, certainly serves the point tonight. He said, A black crow never produced a white dove, and a ferocious lion never begat a a gentle lamb, and no sinner, he says, ever begat a righteous and a pure saint. In fact, we were reminded of it tonight in the baptismal liturgy. 
In this church father, he's talking about hereditary. He's talking about what we call original sin. Scripture puts it this way. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's family tree language. That's hereditary sin language. The acorn, the sinful acorn, doesn't fall very far at all from the sinful tree. And that's our human problem. That's the reason for our human condition. And that's precisely why a virgin would conceive, as Isaiah declared it so many years before it happened. That's why a virgin did conceive, as St. Luke recorded for us. That's why God sent forth his son, as we heard Paul say tonight, born of a woman. Not of man and woman, born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem those of us who were hopelessly under the law. Listen again to that brief but that all-important lesson in incarnational biology. Listen to how God preserves on the one hand the purity which was absolutely necessary and and required of that self-sacrificing Savior, and yet on the other hand delivers to us our own flesh and blood, which was also equally necessary if he was to be our Savior. Listen to how he puts it. Gabriel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born to you, Mary, speaking of his humanity, The child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. They're speaking of his divinity. A child of Mary's flesh and blood, and yet the Son of God. Very God of very God, and yet incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and made flesh and blood, you and me. You see, if this promised child, the promise of Abraham, the one whose way John the Baptist prepared, if this promised child was to do us any good, he had to be both God and man, and an uncorrupted man at that. He had to be, as we sang in one of the hymns this Advent season, he had to be of twofold race, God and yet man. Our sins required both. Martin Luther explains that one so beautifully in a statement he wrote near the end of his life when he wrote this. He said, we Christians must know that if God, the divine one, if God is not in the scale to give it weight, our side of the scale sinks to the ground. He said, what I mean is this, if it cannot be said that God, not mere man, but God dies for us, then we're lost. But if God's death And a God who has died lie in the balance. His side goes down and ours snaps up as if it were light and empty. But he could not be, Luther continues, he could not be in the scale without becoming a man like us. So that we could speak of God's dying and God's suffering, of God's blood and God's death upon the cross. And all of this. All of this is the whole reason why Mary was a mother like none other. It was because her son is like none other. The virgin, this virgin, would in time, as we'll celebrate in about a week from now, she would deliver a son who would deliver the world. That means you and me. 
But never think she's alone. Because you too are highly favored by him too. Just as she did by grace, you too by God's grace have found favor with him. Certainly not in exactly the same way the angel describes. For no one here has been implanted with that holy fetus. But the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Or maybe we should say has come to you just like he did tonight. Into the heart, into the life of little Aaron Trenary. He has come to you and implanted in your hearts faith in the one who was implanted in Mary's womb. And because of it the one who lived in her womb now lives in your heart. The one who sanctified her womb. And made it a holy dwelling place now sanctifies your heart. And makes it also a holy dwelling place. And you ask me? Holy? The disbelief of Sarah considers our past sins. Or our present situation. And perhaps laughs at the thought. The doubt of Zechariah. Considers how unlikely it could be that God has chosen a sinful vessel like this one to call his home and that doubt dismisses it. But my friends, as long and barren with sins as your lives have been, I ask you, is anything too hard for God? Look to the cross. Look to the cross and Christ Jesus upon the cross. And behold for yourselves your impossible situation made certain. Name for me your biggest sin and I'll show you an even bigger Savior. God on the cross for you and for me. Christ Jesus, only begotten of the Father, born of Mary his mother. He came and he died to cancel your sins and to bury all your doubts. And in every one of life's situations, grim or great, let's remember exactly who it is who stands with us. It's Emmanuel, God with us. With Mary facing her tough and her toughest days. With you, when you face yours. And that's his word to you. And so with that young mother like none other, with her we look to her son and we confess with great joy. Let it be unto me, according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.